series on the providence of God as it is revealed to us in the last 13 chapters of the book of Genesis about Joseph and his family, Jacob being the father. And what I said I mean by providence is not that God predetermines every single thing that happens. And that providence is not predestination, it's a different thing, but I'm not sure God predestines everyone who will be saved versus everyone who will not. But what I mean by providence is that somehow God is in the midst of history with us, working God's purpose out, while also taking seriously the choices and lives that we live with. As if God is in this dance with us. We're the followers, but God is in the dance with us. Where the dance leads, we do not know. But we do know at the end of time, it leads to God's providential will that all the world and all creation will be redeemed. Even though we face bad things under the promise of providence, we can hope that something good will come from it. And that even through those times, God is providing for us a way through it. And then after we get through it, we, with the eyes of faith, might be able to look back on that time and see God's providential hand as part of it. Like Joseph being sold as a slave by his brothers and then getting a good job after he ends up in Egypt working for the captain of the guard only to be framed by his wife because Joseph scorned her advances and being thrown into prison. And while they're reading dreams for Pharaoh's servants, And when the servants are relieved, two years later, Pharaoh has dreams and the servant says, nobody knows how to interpret it, so I do know a person who does. It's Joseph, let's bring him out of prison. And Joseph gets out of prison and interprets Pharaoh's dreams and not only interprets them, but also gives management and leadership about what to do about it. That There will be be a harvest of plenty for seven years and a famine of nothing for seven, so let's build giant granaries and, and tax the people 20% of their grain uh, harvest and set it aside for the lean years. This morning's passage picks it up 22 years after Jacob thought his son Joseph was dead because his brothers sprinkled blood all over his coat of many colors since they're the ones who sold Jacob to begin, uh, Joseph to begin with. And all the people in and around Egypt in this morning's text are now into the seven years of famine. Hear the word of the Lord as it comes to us from Genesis 42, beginning in verse 1. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? I have heard that there is grain in Egypt, so go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. 
Then 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others because he was afraid that harm might come to him. So Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain, for there was famine in the land of Canaan also. Now Joseph was governor of the land and the person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. Remember Joseph's dream that all of his family would bow down to him. He had two dreams to that effect. Here they are, first time. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from, he asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, You are spies. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. No, we are not. Your servants were 12 brothers, the sons of one man who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father and one is no more. Speaking about Joseph. Joseph said to them, it is just as I told you, you were spies. And this is how you will be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Benjamin, send one of your number to get your brother and the rest of you will be kept in prison so that your words may be tested to see if you were actually telling the truth. If you were not, then as surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies. And he put them all in custody for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you're honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison while the rest of you go and take grain back for your starving households. But you must bring your youngest brother to me so that your words may be verified and that you may not die. This they proceeded to do, saying to one another, surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded for us to uh, with us for his life but we would not listen and that's why this distress has come on us now reuben the eldest replied didn't i tell you not to sin against the boy but you wouldn't listen now we must give an accounting for his blood they did not realize that joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter joseph turned away from them and began to weep but then came back and spoke to them again. He said to Simeon, taken from them and bound before their eyes, you will be in prison. Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain, to put each man's silver back in his sack and to give them provisions for their journey. After this was done for them, they loaded their grain on their donkeys and left. This is the word of the Lord.
O God, we pray for eyes to see and ears to hear your providential way with us in this text and in this world. In Christ's name, amen. What happened to Joseph, according to Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, represents the most sudden and radical transformation in the Bible. In a single day, Joseph moves from zero to hero, from forgotten languishing prisoner to viceroy of Egypt, the most powerful man in the land. Interpreting Pharaoh's dream meant seven years of plenty and seven years of famine, and Joseph even suggested the solution and the administration, and on that very spot, on that very day, Pharaoh named him as the viceroy governor in charge of all of the food process that will be grown and stored and then given away. That's where this morning's passage picks up. Eight to nine years later, when the famine had covered all the land. Hearing that there was grain in Egypt, Jacob sends his sons to buy some. So they all went except Benjamin. Benjamin was the second son of Jacob's first, not first, but second wife, Rachel, who he loved more than any other. Joseph was the first son who he had already lost. Jacob did not want to give up Rachel's second son, and so he refused to send Benjamin. When the brothers stood before the governor, Joseph, for food, not recognizing him, they bowed down to him just as Joseph's dream as a young boy said they would. While Joseph in that time pranced around them in his fancy multicolored coat and tattletold on them at every prompt. No wonder they sold him as a slave to the caravan in Egypt. But 22 years later, the brothers returned to Joseph and the dream has come true even though he treats them as strangers and harshly accuses them of being spies. What gives? They try to explain. Joseph gets meaner. You are spies. And as a test, you will have to bring your youngest brother, Benjamin, here. One of you will go back to Canaan and get him while the rest of you wait in prison. But after three days, Joseph relented and reconsidered and therefore said, okay, only one of you needs to stay here. The rest of you go back and bring Benjamin. Now, knowing Joseph could not interpret their Hebrew, the brothers confessed to each other, God is surely punishing us for what we did to our brother when we sold him as a slave. And hearing it, Joseph's heart was softened a little. And he had to turn away so his brothers would not see him cry. Regaining his composure, he had their bags filled with grain and, with, and, and sent them on their way, returning the money that they had spent to buy it as well. This was not meant as a gift, by the way. For if you read further, you discover that when the boys and brothers discovered that the money that they had given to Joseph to buy the grain was now back in their saddlebags, that surely they would think that they had stolen it and then would all be thrown back into prison. They were scared to death. 
Returning to their father, Jacob, they told the whole story and how the governor made Simeon stay behind until they brought Benjamin to Egypt. And Jacob rent his clothes, crying, I have lost two sons, Joseph and Simeon. I will not lose the third, Benjamin, the last son of Rachel, too. No, he said, you will not go back. But soon they ran out of food again. And Jacob, brokenhearted, had no choice but to allow them to take Benjamin and go back to Egypt to buy more food and get Simeon back. But before they left, Jacob prayed, May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man, the man, so that he may send back you, your other brother, and Benjamin. Then he wept. As for me, I am bereaved of my children. I am bereaved. Twice he cried to show how brokenhearted he was. When they got to Egypt and bowed before Joseph a second time, Joseph sees Benjamin with them. He told his servants to go and prepare a great feast, then wash their feet and invite them in to the hall to be fed. When Joseph showed up, they handed over all these presents that they had bought to him, bowing down again, third time. But showing little compassion, Joseph asked them, is your father still alive? Still alive, but very worried and in grief about his sons and coming back, one said. Then they bowed down to Joseph again, fourth time. When Joseph noticed Benjamin, his heart broke a little more and he quickly hurried out of the hall to find a private room so now, so that no one would see him weeping. Then he returned and served the feast. Joseph sat over here. The brothers sat here and the Egyptians sat here. Egyptians could not eat with Hebrews. It was an abomination. And Joseph maintaining his post and his power would not at that point divulge who he was. And so there was still this great line of separation. You'd think by now, it was the time for Joseph to go ahead and tell him the secret, to reveal the fact that I am your brother Joseph, who you sold into slavery, and because of God's providential plan in this, somehow I have ended up as governor of Egypt. What better time than this? But Joseph, no, still large and in charge and needing more get back. He wasn't finished playing them as fools. Later, he told his steward, prepare all their bags with as much food as they can carry, return their money, and then slip my silver goblet into Benjamin's saddlebag so that they will not notice. Then, as they get on their way, chase after them, go through the bags, discover it, and bring them all back for being traitors. So the brothers started back thinking they'd gotten all that they came for. 
knowing how berserk their father had been as they were gone, they couldn't wait to show him who they brought back. And then Joseph's soldiers did their work and it was all set up. Benjamin stole the chalice. When they returned to Joseph, they bowed down again. Fifth time. How many times is Joseph going to make them bow down? Because he dreamt it. And Judah tries to explain to Joseph that he had guaranteed to his father Jacob his own life if they did not come back to Benjamin. And then he went on to say that their father was deeply bereaved over losing Joseph when an animal took his life, at least he thought. And again, he thought when he had lost Simeon, but if he lost Benjamin, he would surely die, Judah said to Joseph. Joseph lost in revenge, proud and powerful and haughty after becoming the man in all of Egypt. His heart hardened had lost himself. He had forgotten who he was. But with Judah's words about his father's heart being broken, he came to himself again, remembering who he was and whose he was. He started to cry and he wept so loudly, the Bible says, that all the people in Egypt heard him crying and Pharaoh heard him crying too. And then he confessed to his brothers, I'm Joseph. Is my father still alive? Paralyzed by this news, the brothers just stand there. They can't say a word. Come closer, Joseph said. I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me. For God sent me before you to preserve life giving me the wisdom to prepare for the famine. It was not you who sent me here, but God who made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. And Joseph then gives the confession about God's presence through every single one of these acts that have taken place to enable Joseph to become the father to the Pharaoh and manager of all the food stuff so that all the people in the land would then have food during the famine. And with these words, his brothers and Joseph and those who hear them understand for the first time in the story that somehow God is behind all of this in ways that are almost invisible. And so it's, it's there. This is the reconciliation, the denouement, the climax that comes to understanding. And, and, they, all, and, and they all hurry up and go back uh, to their father and bring him back to Egypt with their wives and all their family and flocks in Egypt. And they, and they all stand under the care of Joseph now and they will no longer be hungry. And, and, 
And then Joseph fell on Benjamin's neck and wept, and they all wept on all each other's brothers' necks, and they all went back and, and, and to Egypt, and Joseph uh, continued to be the governor, and Jacob was with them all, and it all ended up hunky-dory. There it is. Only not. Later, when their father died, the brothers worried again that Joseph would want more revenge, bowing down a sixth time. They begged Joseph to forgive their crime to him. <clears throat> Joseph wept again and uttered these famous words about providence. Am I in the place of God? Even though you intended to do harm to me, God intended it for good. How many times have we heard that? And now we see God's plan behind it all. And they lived happily ever after. Not exactly. Turns out that while Joseph's heart was softened for his brothers, it remained hardened against everybody else in Egypt. Because after taxing them 20% of their grain during the good harvest, he made them pay for it to get it back during the famine. All the money went to Pharaoh. Joseph decided. It was his decision. Then when they ran out of money, he took their livestock to pay for the grain, and all the livestock went to Pharaoh. Joseph's decision. And after that, he took their land, giving all the land and their wealth to Pharaoh, making all of them slaves to Pharaoh. Joseph's decision. Not Pharaoh's. And all along, Joseph believed that God was leading him that God had his back, and that was all part of God's providential plan. And you see, this is the dark side of claiming too easily that we are part of God's providential plan, especially when we're sitting in the seat of the grand poobah. It's easy to claim when we're on top in the seat of power that this is because of God's providence. It's harder when we're at the bottom. It's easy to see how we can convince everybody else that God is on our side when we're just unfair and power hungry. Yes, Joseph took care of his family, but, but why did he continue to do that to the rest of the people? Was it, was it God's providence that Joseph exact revenge from his brothers making them bow down to him five times? Was it God's providence that Joseph played them like puppets during all this time, knowing that his father was back in Canaan with a broken heart, thinking that he was going to lose even his third son, bereaved unto death? Was that God's providence that Joseph make his father go through that? Turns out that God's providence, like all of life, is never so clean and polished, never so clearly discerned and managed. This is how the book of Genesis ends, by the way. It ends sort of like, well, they all moved to Egypt and it was fine. Except then there's Exodus. Exodus. 
which begins about Moses coming down to free the people from slavery in Egypt. How do they get there, those people? Oh yeah, oh yeah, the 12 brothers were the 12 tribes of Israel and, and they grew and multiplied and, and they became so big that Pharaoh was threatened by them because this Pharaoh, it says in Genesis, did not know or remember who Joseph was because it was a new king. And so why, and why, and why, and why did all those things happen down history that way? Because God planned it out exactly that way or because, because God worked with us through that to bring about God's plan in the end that not just Israel, not just the children of Jacob and his grandchildren, but all the world will come to know that we are all God's children and that the way we come to know it is through this Jew descendant of Jacob named Jesus Christ himself, Jewish. And in that we as Christians can look back and say, oh, I kind of see now how it all works a little bit, that God was using all of these events, good or bad, to continue to reveal God's love to us and as we say, culminating is this one word made flesh who dwelt among us full of grace and truth and died for us on a cross to show us that one thing, that God loves us regardless, no matter who we are or whose we are or what we have done. It was a providence of inclusion and forgiveness. And that should make us very humbled and very hopeful. Amen.